Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with our colleague Emma Froh. Emma has a joint appointment at ASU between the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Fulton College of Engineering School of Biological and Health Systems Engineering. Emma talked with us about a new area that she's researching related to stem cell therapies. Emma is working with a group of students right now to map the landscape with the different players and actors related to this emerging market of stem cell therapies for a variety of conditions that don't all have FDA approval, which makes it sort of an interesting uh, new developing space. As is so often the case, the time that we allot for recording a podcast, even a long form podcast, barely allows us to scratch the surface of intrigue for a topic like this and a guest like Emma. So we barely get started here in today's episode of Future Out Loud, and we definitely are going to have Emma back for a future podcast episode in the future. I just said that twice. Um, As always, before we get started, please subscribe to the Future Out Loud podcast if you're not already doing that. You can subscribe in places like iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. You can leave us comments in those places about our podcast and what you're thinking about it and whether there are maybe people that you think we should talk to and record a podcast with or subjects that you think we should cover. Um, You can tweeted us at um, at Future Out Loud on Twitter, or you can leave us comments or like our Facebook page that you can find also at Future Out Loud. And please tell your friends about the Future Out Loud podcast. If you told just one or two people, my goodness, that would expand our reach quite a lot. And don't stop with your friends. If you have enemies that you think would like the Future Out Loud podcast, go ahead and tell your enemies too. As always, thank you for listening. Hey, Heather. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Hi, Hi Andrew. <laughs> Emma, thank you for coming to talk to us today. Pleasure. Um, you are working on a project with stem cells that we don't really know anything about, but we want to. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a project that's trying to pick up on a kind of current set of debates that are happening around the use of experimental stem cell treatments mm-hmm. uh, for curing or for treating a variety of conditions. Um, so, uh, you know, stem cells are a technology that have been uh, kind of known about now for several decades, and there have been a lot of promises I, associated with right. stem cells. Right, right. so let's, let's back that up. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. So, <laughs> yeah. so, what is a stem cell, and, and why are we worrying about this? And how is it a technology? So, yeah. just small questions there, go. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> um, so, not speaking about stem cells from the perspective of being kind of a benchtop scientist, but, but stem cells are... 
um, cells that live inside the body, inside the human body, but inside the body of other organisms too, that have the potential to become any cell type in the body. So they're called, they have the potential to differentiate um, into different cell types. So mm -hmm. we have, for example, a population of stem cells in our bone marrow that are able to differentiate into the different types of blood cell types that we need for our functioning kind of blood cells and immune right, system and right. so and, on, and, right? And presumably with stem cells you can get other things like sort of heart cells or liver or kidney or okay. whatever it is. So yeah, scientists so are finding that there are populations of stem cells in almost every organ of the oh, body. Right, so okay, they think yes. there are stem cells in the brain and in the liver and in the heart and so on. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they're excited about the possibility of stem cells mm -hmm. is that because these stem cells can kind of develop into uh, all kinds of cell types, mm -hmm. there's a lot of interest in using them for regenerative medicine. So the idea of being right. able to kind of replace parts of the body that aren't working very well. Right, just by right. Re or getting them, or I was going to say reprogramming, yeah. it isn't really that, but getting them to start producing the cells that you want. Mm -hmm. yes. Absolutely. So yes. so that's kind of why I mentioned them as a technology in a mm -hmm. sense, yeah. is yes. this idea that you can like take them outside the body and kind of program them to become, you know, uh, new neural cells or new blood cells and so on and you can put them back into patients bodies right, and yeah, hopefully right. help to regenerate the things that are not working so well. Yep. So when you said not reprogramming, it actually is exactly reprogramming. I, I, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I misspoke, just said it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sort of is and it's mm. interesting, right, because I, I mean over the past 20 years or so, there's been a lot of debate, certainly in the U.S., about the use of embryonic stem cells, right? right? Because so that's kind of the context. So, so is that actually where it started? Because I remember the debates about embryonic stem cells and that fear that you're actually taking embryos, which yeah. is something of a sacrosanct area for many people, and then pulling cells out and using them for different things. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Um, because in a sense, you know, uh, an embryo is a collection of stem cells. They're cells that can differentiate. Mm -hmm. They end up differentiating into all of the organs and tissues Course, of the body, yes, right? Yes. So that was sort of initially a very exciting source of stem cells, but it raises all these ethical conundrums for right, scientists. Right, right. So the, the fact that they are finding populations of stem cells in adult tissues um, is an exciting way mm, of possibly yes. being able to work with stem cells without without destroying embryos or right, without yes. having to, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, Okay, so people are now using these, it, it sounds. So I, I, again, from what I understand, you've got people researching them and going into huge detail about how they work and what we can do with them. But at the same time, you've got people actually using them in clinical practice, is that true? Or, tr or claiming that they do? <laughs> so it's a curious type of clinical practice and that's partly why I'm interested in it. Right. So most clinical treatments, uh, or many clinical treatments, depending on the type of treatment that they are, have to go through a process of regulatory approval mm. by the Food and Drug Administration, mm -hmm. so the FDA. Um, guess how many stem cell treatments are currently approved by the FDA? Well, I'm guessing a big zero, seeing the... Oh, oh there are some. Oh, there is one. one. It's one. Yes. So it's not zero. Right. <laughs> there is one. And okay. it's the use what of stem cells for bone marrow transplants for cancer patients. Oh, of course. Of mm. course. It's actually yeah. technology that's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the 60s was the first kind of bone marrow transplants, mm -hmm. but increasingly, you know, being able to refine the use of stem cells for that. That is approved right. by the FDA. Okay. But that mm -hmm. hasn't stopped um, a number of clinics from offering mm. um, stem cell treatments. Right. Um, Cash business. It is a cash business. Yeah, pretty expensive. I, but yeah. so, how do they get away with this then? So they are offering treatments that are not FDA approved. Yes, okay. and many of them will claim, and this is kind of some of the words we're doing, that their treatments don't require 
FDA approval. Mm -hmm. So the FDA doesn't have to approve or regulate everything under the sun. They typically have categories right. of things that require regulation and don't. So mm -hmm. they'll say, if you meet this and this and this criteria, you don't need to be regulated. And if you meet, you know, and if you don't meet those criteria, then you have to apply for approval through right. us. So they have a set of criteria relating to, oh, I never get this quite right, human cellular and tissue-based products. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and they have these criteria set out. And I guess the question is whether or not the clinics that are offering these treatments Actually are fall, yes. fall inside or outside those criteria. Okay. So just putting that aside, yeah. Do these treatments actually work? So I, I've met people who say I had a problem, say I think I was talking to somebody the other day who said he had a knee problem and nobody could fix it until somebody said I'll just squirt some stem cells in and he said it was wonderful. Uh, but is this just purely anecdotal or do these treatments really work? So how would you, this is one of the big questions mm -hmm. really, how would you assess whether or not stem cell treatments work well? Right. Well, so the the usual approach, which is the one I would take, would be double-blind trials. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> people are getting treatments, they've no idea, nobody knows, apart from somebody in a locked room somewhere, mm -hmm. whether they're really getting the stem cells or not, and you see what happens. So that mm -hmm. that is held up by the scientific community, to some extent the medical community, and the FDA as right. being the gold standard. Yes. Right, right. It takes a lot of time and a lot of hoops to jump through. It's extremely expensive. Yes. yes. And that is not the approach that is being followed mm. by these clinics. At yes. least, mm. least a majority of them are not formally enrolled in clinical trials mm -hmm. and are not formally collecting um, data that they are publishing in peer-reviewed scientific literature. Right. Um, but in a sense, that's what makes this work in this project really interesting is what is the nature of the evidence that sure. is being collected? Mm -hmm. What right. are the types of uh, arguments that are being, being put forward um, in order to support the use of stem cell treatment? So mm -hmm. as you said mm. very nicely just now, you know, talking to a friend who had an experience where there was nothing else that could be done. Um, and he tried this, and it seemed to work for him. Right. right. Mm -hmm. um, is that evidence to be dismissed? See, if see, you're somebody weighing up your options, do you throw right. that kind of story out the window or not? That's exactly it. And I, of course, it's very different, difficult to tell. You take that case, whether this would have happened naturally, whether it was some other combination of things, or whether mm -hmm. it was the stem cells. And of course, I guess we don't, also don't know what are the downsides. So you take well, that placebo effect too. Well, of course, which is a real thing, which is yeah. a very powerful effect. Very which powerful. is actually why partially we have double blind tests. Yeah. Because it's very hard to factor that out. Yeah. But there's also the potential long term consequences. Right. And I guess if there is not a, a structured approach to, to researching the benefits, we're not quite sure what the downsides are either. That's correct, right? And mm -hmm. there are some there are some cases of adverse events being reported. Mm -hmm. um, there don't seem to be very many such cases really reported in the literature. Right. It's hard to tell whether that's because there haven't been too many mm -hmm. consequences yes. um, or whether there's sort of mechanisms in place to largely forestall the public declaration right. of okay. such uh, adverse events. So it just incidents. slips under the radar. Um, it, you know, that's that's really hard to tell. Yeah. Um, by and large, it seems that um, the mechanisms that are being used, which are to, uh, or the treatment usually involves going into a clinic, having a uh, bodily sample of yours taken. Mm -hmm. So that's typically a blood sample or a fat tissue sample, mm -hmm. so like liposuction. Mm -hmm. um, having it minimally processed 
and re-injected back into you. Okay. okay. Um, to some extent, you might think that the risks associated with that are not huge. Right. right. It's your own cells. Um, uh, very little has happened to them. Uh, um, apart you know. from the fact that I'm <laughs> looking at Heather here, mm -hmm. presumably if you take cells from one part of your body and squirt them into another part, that doesn't necessarily mean it's safe. So the extreme right. example, if I take some of my fat and shove it into my brain, that would not be a good idea. I would say <laughs> not. Right. The other thing to consider too is that, I mean, liposuction is not a zero risk you know, proposal. I've taken care of some people who didn't do so hot after liposuction. Right. Um, you know, but as a clinic, days. it may be uh, a lucrative opportunity that opens up if you are already doing liposuction. So we're sure. looking at which doctors are right. running these clinics, and a lot of them happen to be plastic surgeons. So yeah. if you have a ready source of tissue available, sure. So um, this is quite an opportunity. Then. Yeah, yes. it may very well be yes. right. Yes. Right. Um, so. So kind of weighing yeah. this up yeah. becomes a tricky proposition. And, and I'm guessing as well that uh, the patients that, that seek this out are going to be very strong proponents. So, so, And I'm thinking in terms of not only things like dietary supplements, but also alternative medicines, where mm -hmm. people truly believe in these and almost believe it's, or they do believe it's their inalienable right to seek out these specific um, treatments. Right. Well, did you just see that there was, was it the FDA just required homeopathic remedies to be labeled as these are not based on modern science they're based on a set of claims dating to the 16th century that have never been systematically tested or like some I, hilarious thing I like didn't that. see wow. that right this was very yeah. recent yes. and which I appreciate mm. as a healthcare provider but because this is a cash business these are people with disposable income who you know don't these are not people who have to choose between liposuction and putting food on their table. This is a different, this is a very particular class of people who are seeking these stem cell treatments. Sometimes, but you will see community fundraisers as well to support people mm. to have stem really? cell treatments. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, so now you've um, got vulnerable groups um, that, that feel this is so important mm -hmm. that they're going to sacrifice other things and try and raise money from others. Possibly. I mean, in listening, in listening to patient testimonials, uh, some hope is a really big motivator mm. for trying to seek treatments that will improve your quality of life. Yes. And if you've been told by a doctor that there is very little left that can be done to treat your condition, mm -hmm. yes. or possibly nothing left, and you've exhausted the, the kind of formal medical treatments that are available, yes. and somebody mentions to you the possibility that stem cells may help to improve your condition. You can um, really understand. It, yeah. You know, it's a it's not an irrational mm, decision yes. to make Absolutely. Um, and people do choose to you know I mean there's a they're usually fairly expensive treatments so right, it's a big commitment right. to make as well and it's not one that's taken lightly yeah so with your work what aspect of this are you really delving into um, so what we're trying to do is to take so there are lots of arguments flying around mm -hmm. um, there's the, there's the scientific community who's somewhat up in arms about the mm -hmm. rise of uh -huh. these clinics um, there are the clinics who are kind of protecting their space mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. there is the FDA who doesn't um, whose whose authority to regulate stem cells is actually actively under question right now sure. so there right. are acts going through Congress mm -hmm. and whatnot that are really sort of shaping what scope the FDA would have to impose pre-market regulation on these mm -hmm. products mm -hmm. um, and you have patient groups and what we're trying to do is to look very broadly at how um, 
evidence is being negotiated in this space, mm -hmm. what kinds of arguments are being made by the different stakeholders mm -hmm. in this can, arena, can and I, how authority is... Can, can I just it? get yeah. you to expand on that, that term, um, negotiating evidence? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because that seems like a really interesting and strange idea to me. <laughs> is, it, is this sitting around the table and deciding what is right, what is truth? <laughs> or what counts? Right. So I think yeah. we're less... We're less um, interested ourselves as analysts in trying to evaluate whether or not a particular type of evidence is a good or bad form of evidence. Right now, we're more interested in looking at the kinds of evidence mm -hmm. that are being put forward by different mm -hmm. groups. Okay. So we've already been talking about some of these forms of evidence, right? Clinical trials, right. anecdotal right. evidence. Um, and by the way, I did, I just went on clinicaltrials.gov. Um, in fairness to the world of stem cells and stem cell research, I think it's important for us to mention that there are currently 5,838 trials of stem cells okay. listed on clinicaltrials.gov. So I don't, I don't want anybody to say the Future Think podcast says that stem cells are all like stem, that there is no active and organized stem cell research, um, which is yeah. not at all no. obviously what you're saying, Emma. I just, you know, am trying sure. to be sensitive to the interwebs. Yeah. Um, We're bringing the evidence. Yes, yes. we yes. are. Well, yeah. to, and, yes. and absolutely, yeah. that our, our project is actually not um, starting off looking to take sides in this debate. Mm -hmm. We recognize that there are many groups that are already positioning themselves very strongly yeah, on different yeah. sides. Yes. Um, yeah. And actually, we're trying to really take a look at what is happening in this space. Mm -hmm. Because I think there are bigger issues and questions at stake here. Questions about, for example, the role of patients in healthcare, right? right? Yeah. Whether you're a patient or whether you're a consumer, mm -hmm. and what kinds of rights and responsibilities mm -hmm. you have, whether the FDA's role is to protect you mm -hmm. or whether the FDA's role is to create a market right. for you to allow allow you to choose your own treatments and whether it's in a sense buyer beware. You know, we yeah. haven't necessarily done trials, but if you feel that this treatment will work for you, you're welcome to try it. Right. So I actually right. think there are these bigger questions at stake. Yeah. Um, that you know are not motivating us to look at this re uh, this case study from the perspective of well you know this is clearly you know a technology that needs to be supported or this is clearly something we need to right. take against yeah. right. but to try and get at well what is actually happening here what is mm -hmm. being treated as strong evidence or what is being dismissed um, you know from arguments and right. so on right and mm -hmm. and to what extent are you looking at this from the individual patient's perspective as opposed to a community or a society perspective. So, so I've applied for a grant. We haven't started doing this research yet, but that would uh, this grant would give us the kind of resources to be able to speak with individual patients right. about the decisions that they're making. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to, in a sense, bring a different set of methods to each of the different stakeholder groups that we've looked at. So how is the scientific community engaging with this debate, reacting, responding, how are patients doing it, either as organized groups or individuals, mm -hmm. you know, and yes, so on. So yes. looking at each group and seeing well, what counts for them? Right, you know, yeah. right. Um, and, and why is this such a hot potato right now? Sure. Uh, so what I find really interesting, and the reason I ask that is, you can really understand how individuals, if, as you said, at, at the end of the, the process of trying to find treatment for certain conditions, mm -hmm. they will turn in hope to something like this. And you can fully understand why they would do it, especially if you look at the risks and benefits. Maybe the only risk is them losing a bit of money and the potential benefits are a solution to their health problem. Mm -hmm. Why not allow them to do it? And yet at the societal level, 
we may actually make the decision that, okay, maybe it's okay for the individual, but as a society, it puts us on a slippery path towards treatments where people can be taken advantage of, yeah. there's no scientific evidence involved. And it's actually very hard to balance those two perspectives. Absolutely. And I think in the U.S. right now, there is kind of quite a big push and focus on the FDA's role and right. the extent to which. So yeah. I think um, there are recent examples of the FDA approving particular drugs, for example, before they've really been through clinical trials. Well, well so that's right. Un under drugs, under similar pressure, yeah. yes. Um, and also an interesting, you know, when we think about the practice of medicine, so we're very used to drugs going through mm -hmm. randomized clinical trials. Surgical procedures is a slightly different case. That's right. So surgeons have operated quite differently. Um, and also the practice of medicine over, you know, mm -hmm. centuries, millennia, has been a trial and error mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. process where doctors use their own informed understandings of both patients and available treatments to try and figure out what works best for patients. Right. Um, so I think, you know, there are these different approaches that play around. And then even within the scientific community, um, there's a lot of interest recently in this sort of buzzword of personalized medicine, right. right? Where really your treatments are totally tailored to you and your specific yes. Um, yes. kind of genetic backgrounds and, and so on. Um, and that also raises questions about how viable clinical trials are as a right. gold standard of evidence well, going forward for the practice of medicine, right? That's exactly right? it, mm -hmm. yes. Um, so all of, you know, in a sense, this, the, these questions are sort of big ones for it, the future it, of healthcare, right? Well, as you're it, saying, it, you know, it opens a huge yeah. Pandora's box here, which we've got to grapple with. Well, and I think that we're going to see in the next four years, you know, presuming that the new administration turns over the FDA leadership and removes Rob Califf from his role, the people who are being considered have been described as, you know, pharmaceutical libertarians. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a movement to say that the FDA should be regulating based on safety, but not based on efficacy claims. And efficacy claims, the market should decide. Mm -hmm. what right. it, which is like mind-boggling so, to me. So, but. but even on the safety side, so mm -hmm. if you just took that approach, you could still imagine FDA would create a huge roadblock because the big question is, how do you ensure something is safe enough? That's mm -hmm. where the big challenge is. And I, and I think yeah. to open up the market, you've got to be a little bit more relaxed about risk and safety, which again, many would say is a, a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. But it, again, it comes back to this question of who makes the decision, the yeah. individual or the society that they're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I have big problems with this. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, as the medical person in the room, just put your fingers in your Do ears. You know, <laughs> listen, I've taken care of patients who um, have had uh, cardiac stem cell injections um, for heart failure, and it, I know that the outcomes of those studies were you know, showed no benefit. Right. I know that some of those patients who came into my exam room said they feel so much better and they know that they didn't get placebo. And they, you know, and so I've lived through all of this experience. Right. And gosh, I know that there's a whole lot to be said for hope. Um, at the same time, there's a lot to be said for fact and truth. So, so I, I Certainly from my perspective, uh -huh. the, there are two aspects of that which are concerning. One is if you don't have 
evidence in the decisions you make. Mm -hmm. Okay, things might work sometimes for some people, right. but that doesn't mean that you have an understanding which will allow them to work for most people most mm -hmm. of the time, which means that in the end you put people in jeopardy. That's from right. That. The other thing that really concerns me is this hanging on to hope which is great if you've got a really good healthcare provider mm -hmm. and you're the patient, but it's not so great as people begin to exploit that. And I'm wondering now whether this is something you might see in, in your study, that there's an exploitative aspect where because people know that some people are going to be so desperate to pay money mm -hmm. for this untried, untested therapy, they're going to be raking in the dollars. Yeah. So there has been, I mean, I guess one of the things that m motivated us to start doing this work um, was that in the U.S., so for, for quite a while, there's been discussion of um, the idea of stem cell tourism or medical mm -hmm. tourism, yes. where you might go abroad somewhere mm -hmm. to a place that's l a country that's less regulated mm -hmm. to seek treatments that aren't readily available in your own country. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been the case for stem cells for a while. So yes. this discussion of people going abroad mm. for stem cell treatments has been around for a while. Um, one of the interesting things is that these treatments are now being offered increasingly at home. So in the last five or six years, mm -hmm. we've seen hundreds of clinics emerge, right? So there's right. been a kind of very rapid proliferation of these clinics. Right. Um, so latest estimates say about 600 clinics. Um, it's really hard to search. There's no there's no single okay. single catalog or, yeah. or uh, of these of these clinics, right? Um, so there clearly has been the identification of a market space, right? right? Yes. Yes. Um, that's yes. opened up. And if you look at where the hotspots of these clinics are, um, they're in states like California, Arizona, mm -hmm. Florida. Um, you know, we haven't strictly started doing, or we haven't kind of um, really analyzed this in terms of firm conclusions yet, but you mm -hmm. can think about um, socioeconomic mm -hmm. um, considerations relating to those states, age demographics, sure. um, right. provision of high quality health care, and so on, and kind of maybe start to think about reasons why certain states or certain part, parts of the country right, are, are really you know, investing mm -hmm. in really, this. Mm. really seeing these clinics emerge, right? Yes, um, yes. And they acknowledge these clinics too to, you know, um, again, to sort of uh, be careful about how we're talking about them. They will, for the most part, explicitly say that they're not offering FDA-approved treatments, that right. these are not treatments that are um, uh, reimbursable through insurance, right. and so on. I mean, you know, they, they are, um, you know... So, uh, so even that worries me, because, and this is anecdotal, I actually don't have any evidence for this, so I probably shouldn't be speaking, but certainly what I've seen is an indication that sometimes that lack of FDA approval, that lack of mainstream medicine, is actually a badge of approval to some people. Oh, they will yeah. prefer a treatment mm -hmm. because it's not mainstream, because it's not approved, and that makes them feel as if there's something more legitimate or real about it. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And you, you enter a more protracted conversation with your healthcare provider, right. and you perhaps build a bit more of a relationship with them in order to sort of go through the treatment process and so on. Right, yes. Um, yeah. So it can be a different kind of healthcare experience, right? Right, right, um. yes. <laughs> Which is then yeah. another variable in this, because if you're getting much closer personal attention with the healthcare, that's mm -hmm. going to affect the outcomes as well, I guess. Absolutely. And I think when we look at not anything related to stem cells, when we look at healthcare outcomes, more attention 
and more conversation, right? That leads to more shared decision making. Like I don't, I can't think of a single study that has demonstrated worse outcomes with shared decision making right, okay. right? between <laughs> patients yeah. and providers. Right, I, right. You know, it, that's not a bad thing. Um, at the same time. Oh gosh, I've I've seen a lot of people have a lot of bad mm-hmm. outcomes from uh, pursuing therapies that haven't been evaluated for safety and efficacy. Yes, yeah. 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 But even in the U.S., as a you know, as a patient, for example, who who works solely within the established mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or the kind of the yeah the more traditional sure. healthcare system, um, it's somewhat bewildering. It's totally um, bewildering. You know, uh, yeah. Because uh, you do you do still get positioned in the U.S. as the consumer and the decision maker. Absolutely, So, yes. you know, um, having spent the last 15 years in the U.K., you mm-hmm. never see. The only ads for drugs that you see on television are for, like, Advil. Yeah. Right? right? Yeah. You know, the, the competition among the sort of <laughs> basic headache, right. <laughs> headache yeah, relief yeah. brands. But the idea that, that, you know, that sort of new drugs that have been deemed to be mm-hmm. safe and efficacious to varying degrees yes. yeah. um, are marketed directly to you mm-hmm. and that you have to choose between them. I mean, I find that bewildering in and of itself. It's a, you know, the U.S. has just a different setup entirely Absolutely. for how it thinks through making healthcare decisions. And I think the kinds of tra- stresses that we're seeing now are just, you know, one step further, um, you know, in that kind of system where it's already a much more market-centric yeah. healthcare right. system, where the role of the state is mm-hmm. seen to be um, less involved, right? Yes, um, yes. Than in than in countries. Like I think Britain, very for much example. so. I mean, it's it's seen as uh, a profitable sector, effectively, mm-hmm. um, and the government's role is to make sure that it works in terms of economic growth. Yes. Rather than. I, and I, I'm stretching things a little bit here, but I think if you're looking at it, there's a strong economic argument for how things work in the US, not such a strong health argument for how things work. Yes, but <laughs> um, when you talk to folks in the FDA, and I always want to make it very clear that the people who work at the FDA are doing a really hard job, and they are incredibly under-resourced. I, so, so let me actually put on record that FDA is one of my favorite agencies. I have a huge respect yes, for people working Yes, I there. really <laughs> like the work that the FDA does. They're incredibly thoughtful, and when you ask them, and when you say, you know, listen, the perception is that you put up all of these unnecessary barricades to progress, they say, no, understand that the way that the FDA works is in response to the mandate from the American populace that Mm -hmm. demands safety and Mm -hmm. demands efficacy from healthcare. And so that's the job that we're trying Mm -hmm. to do. Yet we have these very loud market voices, Mm -hmm. right? That say, ah, the FDA is the bad guy and we got to get rid of the FDA. Ah, uh, it's right. yes, and, it's and I was very and I was thinking not particularly with the FDA, but the whole economic engine, if you like, mm-hmm. um, that goes all the way from the healthcare system through to the the large drugs and devices companies yeah. um, that are there to really sort of push their way their wares and make a profit. That's right. That's yes. right. Yeah, the notion of for profit healthcare is. V- as a healthcare provider, pretty off-putting to right, me. Right. Um, that said, my household derives a significant <laughs> part of its income from the provision of healthcare, and there are 
nice things that come along with that. And so I don't want to give anybody the impression that I am like Mother Teresa in this situation um, because I am not. I am not that good. Um, But uh, yes, there's a whole lot of entanglement. I think when we try to, at the end of the day, we um, are putting value on human life and dollar value or, you know, insert your, you know, currency of choice, but, you know, on human life. And that raises a lot of discomfort. And you've got lots of different groups, right? It's a complicated situation where you have those who are actively making profit, those who are administering health care, the patients mm-hmm. involved, and mm-hmm. they may all prioritize those values slightly differently. Right, um, right. And that's that kind of right, constant right. back and forth over, you know. And, and I, I must confess that I suspect as you follow this study through and start talking to people in the, the business, you'll have people offering stem cell therapies that genuinely do it because they want to make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. Um, For and sure. that's where mm-hmm. things get complex and where you can't just divide this into scientific evidence versus anecdote. Yes. No, and I think that's why it becomes an interesting mm. study, right? Because it's not as straightforward as it might look on right. the surface. Right. Um, uh, and you've got you've got researchers in labs who are sort of veering into um, you know, various forms of clinical trial and or provision of of, you know, treat stem cell treatments themselves. And then you've got, you know, these clinics that operate slightly outside of those spaces. And, you know, you've just got so many players in the space, um, each one of whom brings their own, you know, brings their own motivations to it. um, And there may be some big themes that emerge. Right. So so this is actually beginning to make an awful lot more sense in terms of mapping out that landscape uh, Mm -hmm. without necessarily bringing judgment to the table. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, It's just to try and get a handle on what what is happening and and how is authority being staked out in yes. this space yeah, right? yeah. what communicate to whom for what purposes who do they get to reach yeah and what like makes this. you yeah. a trusted practitioner or what makes right. you an authoritative voice in this space that that you know different groups will listen to mm. um and then what kind of evidence what kind of facts, what kind of evidence are you bringing yeah. to the table to do that? Yes. And what does that mean for healthcare going forward, right? Yes. So this is sort of a microcosm, but I think mm-hmm. you can see other spaces where similar types of debates exactly. are being had, yeah. right? Exactly. Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited to hear the progress that this project makes. Um, I just, it's fascinating. <laughs> and I can't say that chapter three of my dissertation doesn't look a lot like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's with another a different technology, but there's a lot of, of overlap. So yes, please come back and tell us more when well, you have more to tell us. Watch the space. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Emma. Thanks. Thank All right. For more where that came from, including our undergraduate and graduate programs, check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Mark Van Hare created our music. Ana Lopez is our production assistant. Please subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell your friends and let us know what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Future Out Loud.